Hi, guys. I'm so excited you're joining me today on the Next Brave Thing podcast. Today I have a really special guest. Um, it's one of my best and oldest friends, uh, Georgia Coy. She is a fellow risk taker. Uh, she's lived in, uh, she's from Australia, but lived in California where I have lived and lived in the UK for nearly something like 10 years. And now she's back in Australia. And we have gone through so much in our friendship and we've even had a friendship breakup and which we'll get into in the episode. Um, and we've gone through a lot of hard things and, um, seen each other at our worst. And, um, in this podcast, I'm really excited to, um, talk about the redemption and healing process that we've both gone on. Um, and you'll hear some of Georgia's story, um, about uh, an affair that she walked through and um, a breakdown of a marriage. And I am excited to really just share a story of reconciliation and hope. And um, I really believe on The Next Brave Thing, it's really about sharing stories that are authentic and honest. Um, and I love talking about healing because I think there's hope for anyone in any situation. And so buckle up, get ready, um, and enjoy this podcast. Uh, Georgia Coy, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Elle. Yeah, so I am having Georgia on today because um, we have a pretty cool story about redemption. And um, I think I met you about 14 years ago. Yeah. I think it was about that. And we have done a lot of adventures together. <laughs> and so we have so many stories um, and I can't wait for everyone to share, like hear the stories today. Ones of a lot of risk, a lot of bravery, uh, which is appropriate for the podcast. So yeah, do you remember our first meeting? I sure do, yeah. I walked into a church and you were on the, like, the greeting team. You're on, you're a greeter on the door. And, um, and I looked at you and immediately I was like, oh, she's got two different colored eyes. And I also have two different colored eyes. And so we had this moment of, um, of just like, oh my gosh, you've got a green eye and a brown eye. And so do I. Yes, that was our talking point, and we hit yeah. it up from that point. And I was in drama school, schools at that point, and you were – were you living in Bendigo? Or no, you I was living in Melbourne. Okay, so you just moved to Melbourne, and I was about to move back to Melbourne, and we were, we had that whole thing in common around Bendigo and Ballarat. Yes, because you were studying Ballarat, yes. and I had just moved from Bendigo. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, totally. And I um and I want our audience to hear a little bit about your story. You also had an article that came out recently which um shares some of your story, uh, which I'll link in the show notes for everyone who's interested. Um but at that point I was just finishing drama school and or about to finish drama school because I think I had my 21st birthday which I think you came to and all yeah. of this but like I didn't really you were a bit of a mystery to me like I <laughs> I just thought you're a really fun person that I had a lot in common with um little did I know that there was a backstory yeah. so do you want to just like kind of give a little context to like where you were at when we first met. So how old um, were you? I was 20, 20. And how old were you? I would have been probably 24. So yeah. 24. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was basically on the run when I met you. <laughs> I, um, I had just spectacularly blown up a marriage my my first marriage, but first and only, <laughs> yeah. And um, it had been very very traumatic. I I basically come down to Melbourne 
I had changed my name, my phone number and my address and um, was just starting a new life as an early 20s blonde bubbly girl and nobody um, you know nobody thought any different it was very easy just to sort of you know just pretend I was a different person that I wasn't running from total carnage and I remember when I first drove into Melbourne I went into the bank to change all of my details and the guy who was serving me said Oh, he said, who are you running from? And, um, <laughs> and I just smiled at him and I said, you're not supposed to ask questions like that. And, um, and so I think that, that coming in definitely when I met you, I was living behind a facade. Mm. So I had like this version of myself that I was presenting to the world, but inside I, um, had a lot of shame. I was, I was hiding. I was pretending I was yeah. you know, very much on the run. Yeah. And I had no idea. I just thought you were like so much fun, so full of life and which you are like, even though you talked about having a facade, like that is who you are Mm. as well. Um, And it was probably not my business to know what was going on. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, so I remember we had like a few interactions. I remember you came to my 21st birthday Um, but I was still in drama school and I remember putting on Facebook because I was moving back to Melbourne. I put on Facebook, moving back to Melbourne, um, looking for a job. And so give us some context because that's my side of the story. So (laughs) what was, what what, you actually responded to that message? And I was in McDonald's park, car park at on Springvale Road yeah (laughs) and I got that message so what prompted you to respond to me to be like hey come work with us in real estate yeah so so I was I've been working in real estate for since I was 20 so so probably for about four years and um had got a job with a new firm in in Melbourne and was sort of working there and I had basically, yeah, coming from a really messy situation in Bendigo, moving to Melbourne, and then I had a very turbulent, um, you know, turbulent start to my life in Melbourne, um, where I, within a couple of months of moving, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Awesome. I um, had, had a lot to you know, a lot of shame from, because I had had an affair in my first marriage Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I had had a lot of, I was basically, I wasn't run out of the town, but I was kind of (laughs) run out of the town. Um, And I ended up receiving an email from the wife of the guy I had an affair with. Basically, she had tracked me down. She had found where I was working and sort of sent me a threatening email um, being like, you know, how dare you leave all of your victims behind and start a new life and um, and was threatening to expose me to my then boss. And um, and so, you know, I, I remember speaking to my dad about it on the phone. He was like, Georgia, it is better that he hears it from you than he hears it from, from someone else. I think you better tell him where you're coming from. And so I ended up telling um our my boss uh sort of the circumstances of why I'd moved up and accepted the job with him and that opened up a a very intimate um connection with us and he was very supportive with me when I was going through all of my surgery and all of my stuff I was doing with them um with overcoming the cancer and became really my only confidant um in my life um, and, and became a, a great champion of me in many ways, but it was a broken connection. Mm. It was a really, a broken relationship. And, um, and we ended up having an affair. Um, and, and I very much felt like I'm in a cycle. I'm the problem. I, you know, I've, I've just, you know, done this with yeah. one man. I've moved and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in this cycle yeah. And, um, anyway, we had an incredible encounter with God, basically. Um, 
one morning I got a text from him and he was like, um, it was seven o'clock in the morning and he was like, you've got to meet me. I've, I have something to tell you. I can't tell you over the phone. I have to tell you face to face. And I just thought, you know, I've been here before. His wife knows this is it. I remember driving to see him thinking that I'm going to have to move to New Zealand. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to run out of places to move to. Um, yes, I was thinking I was going to have to move to New Zealand and I remember sitting in front of him and him telling me, now this is a man who didn't believe in God, didn't, you know, um, while it was something that we sort of spoke about, he was, he was very anti the idea of faith and religion and, um, and he said, you know, I was in the shower and I was, I was thinking about you this morning and um, as I was in the shower, this audible voice came into the shower and said, Georgia is my daughter. And he just pushed back from the table and he just looked at me and he just said, you know, I don't believe in this stuff. But another two times the voice came to me and said, Georgia is my daughter. And, and he just, he just said, I just know that if I ever touch you again, your God is going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that was like a a turning point for us in our relationship. And, um, and he basically had this awakening to a spiritual awakening. And, um, and he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to church because I don't want to be one of those people who sits there and puts up my hand. Um, but I, but I do want to hire Christians. Like, I think that we should just go and we should just hire Christians because if God is with them, then I want them to be with me. So we were, we were real estate agents and it was all about the bottom line and getting people in favor. And so about that time, I saw that Facebook post, you saying that you've moved back to Ballarat, you're looking for a job, and I knew that you would be perfect. I knew you'd be a great fit. And so I called you when you were sitting up in the McDonald's car park on Springvale Road. Yeah. And, um, and that was the beginning. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. the perfect song. Yeah. And I was so excited because I just come from like three years of drama school and I went through depression. I was like, felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so passionate about acting. And now I don't know what I'm passionate about. And so getting this like call was like such a sign from God. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, there's another, this feels like so life-giving and exciting. Um, and I love property and I'm interested in that. And so it just felt like, oh my gosh, this new opportunity. Um, my brain is going in like a million questions. Part of me is like wanting to move on with the story, but I also kind of want to zone in on like how vulnerable you were, like coming from a chaotic space and then in another scenario, like, I guess, I don't know if now, like I could keep going, but what, what would you say? Cause you said something like, Oh, this is my fault. Like, even though he's older, he's the boss. Mm, yeah. Like, and you said, Oh, I'm the broken one. I made this yeah. happen. Like, what would you actually say to yourself now? Like go, like looking back at that girl. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I would say is this guy is 20 years older than you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a severe power imbalance yeah. in age and, you know, all of that. He was my boss mm-hmm. and I was super vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I think that that looking back, um, that I have a huge amount of compassion for myself. Yes. yes. And, and even for him, like, I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for him as well. Um and and I think that, um, you know, we are our, our own worst critics. And I, I definitely had an inner critic in me that was, yeah, so I was the common denominator. And so when, you, when you're in a situation like that, it's very easy to go, the problem is me. Right. I'm a broken person, so therefore I'm going into situations and creating broken situations. I, I keep on going in and breaking up families. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas now I have a massive amount of compassion and I understand that, 
you know, like attracts like, you know, yeah. um, brokenness attracts brokenness. Like that's yeah. as in the same way that wholeness attracts wholeness. That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah. And I think for me, so I'm starting this job and I'll share a little bit about that, but I had come from drama school where we'd been reading so many plays and so much content around corruption. So for me, I had a bit of a paranoia and a fear around being cheated on and, um, like, but I also had a lot of compassion for humanity in it's like, like, you know, people aren't doing, making these choices because they're bad people. It's because something's happened. And, you know, I kind of had a grid for like, it's not like people want to intentionally go for the most part, go blow up their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did have a deep fear of corruption and being cheated on. And I like, I had kind of worked through a lot of that in, in some counseling, but, um, but that was kind of like definitely there, but I wouldn't have been like aware of it. Like my lack of awareness, it was kind of just in my subconscious somewhere, you know, I'd probably shoved it down. So I came to Um, well, I had a trial, so this wasn't my first day of work, but I remember I came there. You said, come on a Saturday, because that's when we do all the open houses and auctions and really get a feel because this is really game day. This is what, um, a career in real estate looks like. So you should come on that day. And I walk in to that back office (laughs) (laughs) and um I just it's not like I saw your interaction with the boss and you had these really gorgeous um pinstripe stockings on and you like you are very graceful and you walk like a dancer and the thought went through my head they're having an affair (laughs) and then I like put it away I just like didn't think about it again and I just had the best day like it was such a fun day but that was a thought that went through my head but then I was but it was so faint that it wasn't like me being like oh like judgy or anything it was just a notice you know (laughs) so um did you know that I had that yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. he give me some keys and he did it weirdly? And you were, <laughs> and you were like, he kind of like held onto her hands when he gave her those keys or something. No, well, I thought it was also, yeah, he inter- he did a weird like exchange with you, but I, I noticed like he like kissed people on the cheek like a high and then he shook your hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this just feels really awkward. <laughs> yeah, like I'm being treated differently. Like you picked up that there was a difference there. Yeah. Yes, but not like in a, I didn't walk in there being suspicious. Yeah. I just pick up that something, and it's my discernment, I guess. I could just yeah. pick up that, that something had happened. Um, but nothing was going on at that time, was yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, and I remember... Um, I remember I can't that I sat you down at one point and told you about because because at that point you didn't even know that I'd been married before I don't think no. or didn't know about the affair and what I was running from all that kind of stuff yeah because um, yeah. I think I'd been working there for about a year by the time you came up because I'd already had my surgery already been through yes started yeah and I remember thinking if I'm going to invite Elliot. Ella to come and work with me she has to know like who I am like there was just a real thing and you were actually the first person that I ever shared apart from our boss you were the first person I ever shared my what I was running from that I was on the run um it didn't feel like on my end I vaguely remember I think we're in that boardroom 
I'm just having memories. Um, I think we're in the boardroom, but I don't remember feeling like you were on the run. Yeah. I guess it's hindsight maybe, but it didn't feel, I felt like you were having a fresh start probably in my mind. Yeah. 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 So I remember that, that conversation because it was such a massive conversation for me. We were actually, we were eating arancini balls. We went out for lunch (laughs) and I was like and I was like so nervous I was sweating and I was like why have you married before and had an affair and all this stuff how did I I respond I can't even remember this this is crazy uh, I can't fully remember either it was so many years ago now but um so I think that you were quite shocked but very supportive I think that you were um you know just a real champion in that space and because you had just started working for us, I didn't um, tell you about what had happened with me and the boss at that point. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. tell you that um, cause, because then we had the great idea to move in together. Well, I kind of need to backtrack a bit. Yeah, backtrack that. <laughs> because, because I do need people to know, like, um, like, some of you have listened to previous episodes, you would have heard like my deep anxiety and fear around lack. And um, I, on the first day, so I had like the first kind of trial day to figure out like if I liked real estate. And then the first day um, I had a Monday and the, from my parents' house, because I've moved back to my parents' house, it was like an hour and a half each way drive. But I was so determined to like, it just felt like my first start. Like, because I don't want to like be in the area that my parents are. Like I was in that space. And um, the first day, (laughs) the first day of um, work, I crashed my car in the back of someone else's. And that is where all of my sabotaging began, <laughs> like with like finances and, you know, cause I was broke, just finished university and starting a new job. And then, wow, I have this teeny tiny salary that felt like a big deal. <laughs> it's like when you're used to just working, like on weekends because you're in school. Like, um, and I just remember being like, Oh, so ashamed. Like I'm starting this job. (laughs) Everything's a mess. (laughs) And so, um, but eventually we got to a point where that hour and a half what each way was just crazy. And we're like, we have to live together. And so to live together. I mean, guys, is this not, the perfect storm. I mean, yeah. yeah. When we talk about it now, I just think, oh my goodness me. I'm. I would sit myself down, and I wouldn't have listened though. I don't know I if I. I wouldn't have listened either. Yeah, I would have been like, okay, so let's talk through the finances of like how much. I would literally sit. Yes. Well, a part of me is like. I actually would have needed a non-judgmental, like I would have probably liked a non-judgmental, like guidance for sure. But yeah, that's yeah. fine. But I was following fun for sure because we had so much fun. <laughs> but we had a lot of fun, and I, I remember that. Um, so something that I wasn't aware of was that basically everybody in the office knew that we had had, I had had an affair with our boss, right? And then they, they were speaking to you about it when you first came on board. I forgot about that. Yeah. They would just kind of make a, oh, they're off together. Oh, like this sneaky little, yes. Yeah. We, were list, we were listing partners. So we'd go out and, and we'd yes. get business together. We would go on you know, praise properties, sit down, you know, yeah. find the vendor, all that kind of stuff. And so we did spend a lot of time together. Yeah. And, um, and, but there was, I think it was pretty obvious that there was a vibe there. Yeah. And, and 
it wasn't it wasn't like a even on my seat it because it wasn't like an obvious wow they're obviously having an affair but you could I think when you're a discerning person you can feel like there's something that's happened there but yeah you can't really yeah. just be like oh they're doing that right now you know yeah yeah totally and I remember that I thought okay if if you move in with me if we move in together get get an apartment I have to tell you about what's happened with the boss like there's no way that I can because I knew like I wanted I, I knew that there was potential for things to get messy and I wanted you to be going into that with your eyes open um so that was my next brave conversation was having that conversation with you yeah I remember that conversation (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) well I remember well because at that time and you're still writing your book so everyone you know you'll have to stay tuned for the book there is a book coming there there is a book coming um and it's going to be amazing because part of how we connected was I love storytelling Mm. and so I would read your book and I just felt such a like belief in this book like because it's you're such a great writer and I um yeah I just enjoy because I love story so much and you're such a brilliant storyteller um I just felt such a connection to it but I could also feel in the book that something was missing (laughs) yeah and I think we were sitting at our table and we had the cutest apartment it was so cute in such a great location but as soon as you opened the front door you could smell fish (laughs) (laughs) I think the audience needs to know that detail. Above a fish shop, we had such a beautiful apartment, and it was like on a, a above a row of shops, and there was bakeries and cafes, and yeah. it was very artsy and beautiful. But our apartment was above the fish shop. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so every time we would open the door, we would just smell the fish. But yeah. as soon as we closed it, it was great. But we are. Uh, like sitting in our dining area, probably with like a faint smell of fish in the back. <laughs> Just so people can kind of like capture the moment. But I think we were talking about your book, which then led to, I don't know how it all ra- unraveled, but I do remember specific moments. Yeah. Because we were uncovering, because we talked about the fact that there was an affair that broke up your marriage. And then I think you admitted that there was another one. Yeah. And my Noah knew who it was by that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Do you remember? Yeah. What led the conversation? Yeah. It's funny because I was like, I've got to tell Ella before. And this just makes me laugh now when I look back at my younger self. I've got to tell Ella about our boss before we move in together so that you know so that she can you know so so that she's going in with her eyes open but I waited until the day that we actually moved in (laughs) oh my gosh so something that I would have done like leave it to the absolute last minute after we've like signed contracts and everything and I remember telling you on the stairs and um, you know how we used to sit on the stairs? Yeah. Yeah. Is that and you were wearing your wedding dress? <laughs> I remember you came down in your wedding dress one time. <laughs> okay, not that time. Got it. I, that was definitely not the time. That was definitely okay. not the time. But um, it was when we would get scraping all that mold out of the bathrooms. Remember oh, that? About that, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I remember telling you, and I remember it was the first time that I had fully trusted someone, and and I really let you in. Like, after that conversation, you were the only person in the world um, outside of that affair relationship who knew everything yeah. about me. You knew all of my 
dirty laundry, knew all the things I was hiding. And, um, and it was a big deal because I really hadn't trusted anyone the way I trusted you um, since my husband, you know, since, um, because I really, when we were dating and, you know, I really trusted him and let him in and letting you into that space was the first time that I'd really ever trusted someone since then. Mm, yeah. Wow. And, um, well, I remember you, I can't remember how this happened, but I remember you going, wow, so you know, and Mm. you told me who it was. And then you started listing guys off through like the company we worked for. And I was like, nope. It's not that person. It's not that person. It's not that person. And then you said one person who is a real flirt in the company. And I'm like, nope, it's not him. I think you said, you just say who it is. And I, I think I said, no, you need to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you did. And I don't don't remember, I first personally remember feeling so much peace. Like, I don't remember, I don't remember feeling like, I just had so much love towards you and I just know you. So it was like, I didn't feel like... I just, it was one of those things where on the outside, if you heard this story, you could be judgy and gossipy, but I was too up close to you to kind of go, I just knew you. So it didn't feel like, yeah, it just really didn't feel like a scandalous moment, if that makes sense. Well, it was sort of a sacred moment. It, to me, it was very sacred because yeah. I felt so honored that you could trust me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that your friendship and the things that you, I mean, keep in mind, everybody, we are babies having this. Like by that step, you were 21. I was yeah. 24. Yeah. Like it was, or 25, maybe that's by that stage. It was, um, you know, we were young so, and, we, and we didn't have any um, mentoring or any like no sort of older, wiser people, no. um, you know, who'd gone before us who could who could give us advice. So yeah. we were definitely working out on our own. But I think in our friendship, the way that you loved me and and accepted me and supported me and championed me made me believe that I could overcome this cycle in my life. It made me believe that there was a way out um, of the destruction that I'd welcome in because I think before that I just believed that, okay, I've welcomed this destruction into my life and so therefore, you know, I've made my bed, I've got to lie in it. You know, I I had examples of women in who I knew um who had, you know, had self-destructive cycles their whole lives, had had four husbands, had had, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. And and I thought that that was the path ahead of me. You know, I thought I've made this um, mistake and now that's my life sentence. Mm. And I feel so honoured, especially knowing because, yeah, knowing like our whole story which we will get to, but, um, I think it's also, um, the power of voicing our shame that really, and like, yes, part of it was at that, in that moment, I was safe for you. Mm. And I know I haven't always been safe for you, which is humanity. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like, I think it was, and it's so powerful you saying that is I think when shame is spoken, when you come out of isolation and actually share your story, that's like where you get liberated and you get to take up a new narrative. 
And mm. that's what you were doing. And I happened to be the one available for that moment in that time, mm. which is so sacred to me. And it did feel very holy. I think that looking back, because we're so young, we just didn't know how to navigate. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, we didn't know how to like navigate all of the way through it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I remember, um, so our apartment was two floors and I had the top floor and you had the bottom floor. And, um, and I used to sit on the stairs that led up to my floor and you used to sit on your stairs that led up to your room. And I used to, we used to talk for hours sitting on our stairs and, and, but I'd be looking at you through the bars that were on my stairs. And I remember this one night and you said to me, you're going to get out from the other side of those bars, Georgia. You're going to get out. Mm. And and I held on to that even after, you know, our friendship broke up, yeah. um, which we'll get to. But, but even after that, I held on to that promise of I'm going to get on the other side of these bars. Yeah. 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 And I think, and you talk about this in your article and you refer to the scripture that Paul says, why is it I do the thing I don't want to do? And the, you know, being stuck in, stuck in that cycle. And um, I'd love you to speak to it because like, I know even in my own journey of like, why am I drinking this or eating this? And I'm doing the thing I don't want to do. And I told myself I wasn't going to do that. And then I'm doing this or I, you know, we have these moments where we try and change something because the pain of the shame of going back in that cycle keeps us stuck there. So you were walking proof and that you can actually live outside of that. So I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah. Well, before we, um, before we moved in together, I had my own little apartment, just a one bedroom. And I used to get home every night. And this is when I was in the depths of having the affair and living behind the facade and no one ever really truly knew me. And I would get home every single night and I'd lie, lie out on my lounge room floor and I would say, Jesus, teach me who I am. Teach me who I am. Like, this is not what you saved me for. You didn't save me for this, so I must be someone else. So teach me who I am. And um, for a year, I I read Romans 7 every single every single day. I'd get home, I'd say, teach me who I am, and i read Romans 7. And um, it talks about, it says, I don't understand myself at all, but I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking, but I can't help myself because I am no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. And I remember that after a year of reading this scripture every single day that God said to me, Georgia, you should read Romans 8. And I was so offended. I was so offended because I was like, no, I'm, I'm reading Romans 7. You know, like this is my, this is my scripture, da, 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 da. And, um, and then I read it and it was like, but there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He died to free us, you know, from the vicious cycle of sin. And it was in that moment of reading that that I realized it is possible. It is possible. I can get out from behind these bars. But when we were in, when we were living together, I was very much still in that circular um, cycle of of self-destruction. Yes, totally. And um, yeah, Romans 8 is so powerful. I had a counselor say, you need to read that over and over again, because I think when we make mistakes and my like cycle was around finances or, you know, those kind of things, when you're stuck in that cycle, it does feel really hopeless. Um, Mm. And when you then make a mistake, we think that we should condemn ourselves. Yeah. We literally do like, I'll never get out of this. This is 
condemnation and and we walk through the earth with little condemnations going off in us all day long like we're not going to be and no wonder we feel hopeless depressed um and I think the thing like even though it wasn't like in a catholic church and you were confessing your sins but when you were sitting on the, the those steps telling me that was repentance that was confession that that is what that is what like and this is where my heart breaks for people who have been so shamed in the church when they do confess things because it's supposed to be incredibly holy like it's supposed to be incredibly liberating and um yeah but that's so powerful that you mentioned Romans 8 because like that is like my life chapter (laughs) you know and that god works all things together for good yeah that's right yeah and especially like knowing on the other side 14 13 years later like you're completely transformed Mm -hmm. um and um so coming back to the story so you have you share that um and I think it kind of from that point it started everything kind of escalated in some ways. It you it left. Well well it escalated to the point where I just realized that if I wanted to start a new life, I had to get away from this guy. I had to break out of this work environment, I, I just, the more healthy I got, mm-hmm. the more toxic I realized our workplace was. Yes. And, um, and you know, I think that if we had all stayed there forever, it wouldn't have blown up, you know, but, but I think that me leaving did, it, it made it blow up. Um, yep. especially because, you know, I had felt like, um, I had this calling to write down my story and to write a book about it. And, um, and then that added so much pressure to our boss who was married with children. Um, and, and he felt, you know, very threatened by that understandably. Yeah. And I remember, cause I was always really like for the book and we've had this conversation since then, I think in my like, cause I then became, he found out I knew. And so then it was like, I was in the middle of, and also like struggling with my finances. Like this is my livelihood attached. Yeah. To my yeah. own was around that. Um, exactly. and so, yeah, I remember it being, um, a lot of fears coming up around that and yeah like I definitely know like that's when I think we started unraveling like our friendship it was after I left because I I left and remember I had because I had a big board um that I would put all these quotes on in my office yeah my little cubicle And, um, and I was taking them all down the day that I left and I left one of them up and it was be the change you want to see. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I left the office and I just left that quote there. And I remember until I left, we were totally together. Like we were very unified in the decision of me leaving. Yeah. Um, But then when I actually left, um, it really blew up with the boss and you, and you brought bore the brunt of all of that. And um, and it was really from that moment that you know you were put in a compromised compromised position of mm-hmm. um, you know we were living together, you know yeah. you were working here, and um, yeah, yeah. And I think when your sense of security is threatened, mm-hmm. like. For me, that was like a, and I would, and I think little Ella, 22, 21 year old Ella was over responsible as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's, you know, I can look back at her and be like, she loved 
like in some ways she liked the being the one that was you know in the middle <laughs> like yeah, yeah. You know, like not yeah. like you know, I would so have not been aware of that but more just like oh I've got a you know, take care of this person, take care of this person. And, Mm. oh my gosh, I'm like in the middle of it. Like, whereas like now, and I would say to clients or say to like, you know, people, I'd be like, actually, that's not your business. You can actually, that's not your business. It's really, I had a therapist say to me once, she's like, Ella, there's your business, their business and God's business. Just stay out of it. That is brilliant. And I think like that was like what, that's what I would say to my younger self, because I think, and I, I don't think our friendship would have exploded if I, well, who knows, who knows, but like, like if I had have knew, known how to go, what's my business and not my business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But that's a that's a very mature thing to be able to do, isn't it? Right. <laughs> no. You know, like exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I remember there was a moment for me, um, because I started a job at a different real estate agency. Yes. And there was a moment for me when I was I I just knew because things had changed between us and there was a big tension there and all this sort of stuff. We'd I think we'd had discussions or maybe we hadn't I'm not I'm not sure but I was driving home from my new job and instead of turning to go home I turned to the beach and I just went and parked my car at the top of North Road and I just sat in my car and wept because Mm. I knew that it was the end of us like I knew that we were that that it was going to be the end of our friendship and It was such a moment of raw grief for me because because I had trusted mm-hmm. you and I had let you in and um and it's interesting because you know the thing about betrayal is that it never comes from an enemy you know mm-hmm. it always comes from a friend mm-hmm. and I remember opening up my Bible to um, Psalm fifty five and it says. It was not an enemy who taunted me. If it was, I could have borne it. I could have hidden and escaped, but it was you, a man like myself, my companion and my friend. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to talk about this friendship that he had with this guy and all this sort of stuff. And, yeah. um, and it was a really sacred moment of me, like just giving my trust back to God mm-hmm. like in the car that night, giving my trust back to him. And also acknowledging that it's that that cliche, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. Yeah. Like I had so much treasure from that friendship, even though it was fully on the rocks at that point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I knew that that it was worth trusting, mm-hmm. having trust in my life with people. Yeah. It's powerful knowing like where friends again (laughs) but even like I think even looking at friendships when you go through something really big sometimes something needs to die in order for something really real and healthy to live yeah and so it's yeah like it definitely yeah felt like, and to give people hope who are walking through hard things, like yeah. but it does take both people to really surrender and mm. to trust and have the healthy space. Cause I mean, we wouldn't have known this, but we definitely would have been codependent. We're like, Oh, hundred percent. The only person in the world who knew me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And- um, even like you with your finances and the job I mean, the whole thing was codependent. Like we, we yes. kind of set ourselves up for major disaster really. But um very <laughs> yeah. so funny to look back on. I know. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's the whole thing of like what would I go back and, and say to us then? 
Yeah. I would totally say don't try and make this work. If Mm. if this is an unhealthy friendship, let it go. Surrender it. Like, you know, we always hear that life is short, but in my experience, life is long and you have a lot of opportunities for reconciliation and redemption and all of this kind of thing. And, um, and, but there was no way forward for us yeah. in, you know, in what we were in, like, you know, for where we were at, there was no way forward for us together. We had to um, break up, which, which just for everyone listening, Ella invited me to the end of North Road to break up with me one day. Yeah, I did. <laughs> which, was, which was brave and which was exactly what needed to happen. You know, I remember you walked up and you were so numb. Mm. Oh, that was a hard moment. Yeah. And, and I was like, I, I, I knew that I, ha- I wanted to wear something that was going to be totally casual, just really not intimidating. So I wore like my um, tracksuit pants with paint splattered on them and like a workout top. And you were in your full armor. You had like your best dress on, <laughs> and your gorgeous flats and everything. And um, and I knew as soon as I flew, I'm like, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Um, but we needed we needed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and oh, so hard. Yeah, Not- and then. And then after that, we didn't speak for, I, I want to say about three years, two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. And then I reached out because you moved to America. You I came did. Swing. Yeah. And that's sort of, um, and we didn't have things like Instagram and stuff like that. So it's not like I was aware of, what like, I was doing, what or... you were doing, or whatever. But I always felt this thing of like, well, at, like I admired you because I always wanted to live in America, like, and you went with no money, <laughs> and so I definitely judged you at first. Um, and As did many people. As yes. Did people. yes. <laughs> and then I was like so in my own like rut in life that I was like, you're actually brave. You're, you did the impossible thing. You took ownership of your life. You got your life. Like you fought for your life. Like, and I didn't know how to fight for my own life at that point. Like, um, and like, you just looked like, a completely different person and I wanted to feel completely different. So I sent you a message and I also felt like more ownership on my side of the things of like, you know, like whether it was like being judgmental or like the way I handled breaking up with you, I don't know, like, (laughs) like all of that. And so I don't really remember what I wrote, but how did you feel when I reached out to you? Oh, I mean, it was, it was amazing. I think that, you know, I had, I had given you, I had surrendered you, I'd surrendered our friendship. Um, but what was incredible, like the year after we broke up, God really built back some massive bridges that I burnt down relationships with people. So God had restored my relationship with my ex-husband. Oh, that's um, yeah. Yeah, he restored my relationship with the wife of the guy that I'd had an affair with originally. Um yeah. and and she was because I'd done my first draft of my book at that stage and um God had said to me, Who is the person you are most afraid of ever reading this? And I was like, Oh, hands down, it is the wife of the guy that I had an affair with. Mm-hmm. And um and God just said to me, I want her to be the first to read it. Mm. And so I sent it to her and we ended up having this incredible conversation and then a friendship came out of that. And, um, and so when you reached out to me, I knew it. I was like, I've, I I could smell the redemption on it. I was just like, (laughs) there's there's healing in the wind. wind." So I was really excited. 
um, you know, for what that could look like. And, and, but at the same time, like knowing that it might not look like a friendship again, you know, mm. it might just, you know, like the redemption that happened with my ex-husband didn't mean we got married again. Right. But, you know, and so I was sort of approaching it with open hands and an open yeah. heart. Yeah. Which is so key for everyone listening. Like it's so out of control. Our relationships are so out of control. We really need to surrender them and trust, yeah. like, and trust that it will work out for good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that that's where a lot of breakdown in relationships is the trying to control the redemption or trying to force you know, things happening. Whereas I love your whole heart posture through healing has been surrender and Mm. trust, which is really powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's really how I made that transition. Just going back to that point of the Romans seven to Romans eight thing, you know, I, I tried to strive my way out of that cycle of sin for a long time, but it actually, you know, I just had to hold it in surrender. And then I had this incredible encounter. I don't know if we've got time to share it, but incredible encounter where in a moment I was healed of that love deficit inside of me and um, have been free for gosh, maybe 12 years now without any of that stuff touching me. So, yeah, which is a huge piece of the story because, yeah, that's right. and I think, you know, I have people who aren't, you know, people of faith or Christians who are listening. And I think both you and I are deeply spiritual people, but we're also like, it has to be real. Like we're not interested in some sort of religious practice. Both you and I have had very significant spiritual encounters for us Mm -hmm. to be able to go and that have transformed us to make us go, yeah, this stuff is real. <laughs> like, absolutely. otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. So I guess um, there's so much to our story, but what's powerful is like we met that night and like there's so many other amazing things. I ended up coming and visiting you in Reading, like in 2013, I think it was. Um. And I think like, and there was a moment where we were at View 202 in Redding, California, where you just literally sat there and heard my whole side of the story. You didn't get defensive. You just listened and held space. And I'm like, who is this person? So whole. Because wouldn't you think that you would want to defend or like, I don't know, like you were so full of compassion and you had like you out of the abundance of your healing, you were able to hold space for me. So, and I think that's a big thing we've had, um, we've had, you know, conflict in relationship and we've hurt someone, you know, it's not about providing information to them about why you've done it. You know, like when you're in that space, it's not about defending yourself. It's about hearing and connection and love. Like that has to be what that space is about. And, um, you know, and and then I I think it's, you know, from from those powerful moments that we share that we've been able to build, you know, a very healthy, authentic friendship. Yes. Yes. And it's the rip and repair thing. Like we've actually, we actually know how to repair, like, and so that builds even more trust and like, um, yeah, even like me breaking trust with you or being, feeling unsafe as well. Like it's beautiful because I think in those moments we've, we like can think, all of them is bad and nothing of that was real. And you like go into those places where you think that like, oh my gosh, no one, you know, no one is trustworthy. Who can I trust? Your real pain speaks. Um, But then I think the more we learn, 
you know, the journey of trusting ourselves and, you know, learning that we're sometimes not trusty, trustworthy with ourselves. Like how can we expect that people are always a hundred percent trustworthy, you know? Um, and that we can actually learn to build deeper trust if we know how to rip and repair, <laughs> like, I think it's really powerful. And just in closing up, um, I think it's really powerful. Even just watching your whole journey, you actually really, I don't think I ever remember hearing you blame anyone. Mm. That's a big deal. Like even like you have awareness around like, oh, this is what got me here. And even in like the the setting of, um, you know, having that power dynamic, like I, even though like there's acknowledgement like there, like, but I've never actually really heard you blame. I've heard you more take ownership, um, but acknowledge certain things. So can you speak into that? Cause that's really yeah. Yeah, like, and I honestly, if there was, you know, the top five things that I can, I can say things that I've done, which are are why I am whole and where I am right now, that would definitely be on the list. So my, the culture of my family that I grew up in was a blame culture Mm. and had my parents divorced. They didn't see my dad for seven years. All of this stuff happened. And it was always someone else's fault. You know, no one ever took responsibility. No one ever stood up and said, I did the wrong thing. And I remember having this moment where in the first affair I had, the wife found out and she um, came into our office, um, you know, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning or something. And she walked through the office announcing to everybody that I had been, you know, effing her husband basically. And, um, and I had a moment where I could have, I could have run out the back door. I could have left. Um, but I decided, no, I have done this. I'm going to take responsibility for it. So instead of running, I stood up and I held on to the bottom of my desk and I waited for her to come And that was a turning point for me. That was a turning point in my adult life of saying what what I've had modeled to me as a child, I refuse to to take that on as my truth as an adult. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to find another way. And so I stood there and I listened to her and I said some really unhelpful things to her, like asking her if she hadn't got enough sleep or if she was drinking enough water, like what? um you know but but that was a defining moment in my life and and I think that that is a core value that I've taken into every every decision I make and also every circumstance I find myself in what am I responsible for and what am I learning Mm -hmm. that is that is my big takeaway um and and I guess core value of my life and it has served me because it has meant that I haven't um, had to carry around the heavy load of bitterness and resentment. Yes, that's huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that will block you from any good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So in closing, if you saw your youngest self, like what would you say to her? Oh gosh, I would say to her, don't worry about trying to get everything right and make everybody else okay. Mm -hmm. Just be authentic, even when that is painful and embarrassing and um, keep on trusting, keep on putting your heart out there. Keep on, uh, you know what I would say? I would say, Every single thing that happens to you, learn from it. Yeah. Learn from it and keep your heart soft. Yeah. Keep your heart soft in that. Yeah. Um, And keep short accounts in your heart. Don't let it build up. Yeah, that's so good. 
And it's amazing because you have lived in America for three years. You lived in London for how long? Is seven it years. Yeah. seven years? Like mm-hmm. you, and you'd never left the country when I first met you. So yeah. it's like what, what was beautiful was, um, you know, I took this big break thing of moving to America without any finances, wasn't able to work over there, was studying full time. Um, and then, you know, three years later, I got to cheer you on as you made that same move, as you went through that same process. And I got to, you know, financially go into you at times as you had done with me, um, you know, and I got to really witness that journey with you, which was, which was another level of redemption that was so powerful. Yes. Yes. So powerful. And I think I couldn't have move countries without you like I couldn't have because you need to see to believe that it could be possible Mm. and you were my ultimate see to believe that it is possible Mm. and you've always been a pioneer and I just love seeing that yeah that life is now full circle you're back in Melbourne and thriving and like onto new adventures and yeah, I'm so excited um, about all of that. But I think if I have listeners listening and they feel really connected to your story, how can people find you? Because you're also a life coach. And um, yeah, yeah. So I have a business called um, North Life Consulting and so you can find us at northlifeconsulting.com. And, um, and I coach people, I am a speaker and a preacher and a trainer as well. So going to places and, um, you know, different teams and train on brave communication and work-life balance and all the great things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also you've got my article about my story in the comments, which yeah. was published through, through Women Alive earlier yeah. on this yeah, so guys, if you're listening, please reach out to Georgia because even if you just need a safe space to share your story, like she knows how to hold space for you. So um, yeah, well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I'm definitely going to have you back. So thanks for joining me, George. Thanks for having me, Elle.